0: Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving the confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250, the apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500, the Reformer, $100 monthly or an annual gift of $1,000, and the Patron, $200 monthly or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org, and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses, or call Lynn, 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. We have listener questions and comments on a recent conversation we had with Dr. John Bombaro on Christianity and myth we also have a question really a heartbreaking question about hospice and euthanasia some difficult questions and some difficult answers lay ahead for the next few minutes of issues etc on this wednesday october the 18th we're going through listener email talkback at issuesetc.org and the issues etc comment line 618-223-8382 busy place here today we had uh,
1: president russell dawn and jeff hines vice president of development at concordia chicago Visit us today, and then we had the Straubs, Arliss and Scott Straub from Indiana. We go weeks without people visiting us, and today we've got a bevy of visitors. Go figure. Yeah. Some expected, some unexpected. We always love visitors. You can stop by. Just, when you Google search, it'd probably be easier to find our address on Googling Tropical Snow than Lutheran Public Radio. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> All right, let's begin couple emails on your interview with Dr. John Bombaro on Christianity, Christianity and Myth. Scott writes from Virginia, while I enjoyed the program, Dr. Bambaro made one rather serious error when he stated that there was no historical basis for Hercules, Jason, and the Argonauts or the Odyssey. To the contrary, especially for the voyages of Odysseus, it's pretty clear that there are historical bases for these stories. Several of the details encountered by Odysseus in his voyage have been discovered to be true. Especially some astronomical patterns described that could only have occurred in the proper time period, just after the fall of Troy, which of course has been found, in a channel between two adjacent islands, is described that has since silted up and was recently discovered by geologists. The question, of course, is how the stories became elaborated with the details of various gods and their doings. Is it just the human tendency to ornament a good story even further, or is there some basis in the, as Paul suggested, demons that played gods before Christ stopped them for a while? I mention this because, of course, any good postmodern scholar admits to the historical nature of Jesus, but insists that just like the stories of Hercules, Jason, and Odysseus, they were elaborated over time. This is why it's so important to insist on the proper dating of the gospel accounts, concludes Paul in Alexandria, Virginia.
0: Good point. Very good point. And, yeah, there are some historical ties, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're speaking specifically about Jason and the Argonauts and just saying, look, we don't know of any historical connections there. Some of these things are genuine myth. So I agree that you can find some ties to history and to geography and to, as you said, astronomical events that fit within the storyline of those myths. doesn't necessarily mean the whole thing is historical. Now, with respect to the comparison to Christianity, St. Paul makes it very clear what the touchstone of veracity is for the Christian truth claims. And he says, if this particular event did not occur, then maybe all of it may still be based in some kind of story, but it's not worth listening to anyway. And that's the physical resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul hangs all Christian truth claims on that one event. And he says, if Christ isn't raised, then we are wasting our time. Now, he doesn't say if Christ isn't raised, Christ didn't exist historically. He, he, just, he assumes Christ exists historically, of course, but Christ must be raised. Otherwise, it's not worth believing anything he said or anything that we believe. So, yes, you're right. And I think that's what Christians, you can't really say that of any other ancient story about gods. How do you falsify it? And Paul invites the critics to falsify Christianity in its entirety if they can say Christ was not raised from the dead. And you know, closer to the events, Paul says, there are people who saw him. I saw him. 500 people at one time saw him. The farther you get from that event, we can no longer say, well, there were all these people who were still walking around among us who saw Jesus raised from the dead. But we can say but there are reliable eyewitnesses who recorded these events, the four gospels, and the eyewitnesses they are based on or the eyewitnesses, the testimony they reflect. And they say he was raised from the dead.
1: Yeah, well, why didn't the Jewish and Roman leaders show the body?
0: Could have put all, all yeah. you know. The only story they could come up with is the disciples stole his body and hid it someplace because they couldn't find it either, which tells you a lot. If they could have rolled away the stone... After, what, day seven, and say, there he is. They would have, but they couldn't, because the tomb was empty. So they had to go with the only story that made sense to them, which was the disciples stole the body.
1: And all the disciples, with the exception of John, were martyred for the faith. Not one of them flipped the story. Could have prolonged their life had they just said, hey, here's where we buried it. Not one of them flipped. That's what I was reading about Watergate. We were talking about Watergate last week. That's what happened when they prosecuted G. Gordon Liddy and whatever the, the, his his cohorts that work with him. Once it looked at, they're going to get jail time. I forget the name of the first guy. He flipped. He flipped, and when he flipped, then John Dean, you know, started do. He was doing the deep throw. Then John Dean flipped, and then. Eventually, well, I don't know if Gordon G. Gordon Liddy ever flipped, but- Probably not. But one, one- He was proud of that. Yeah, one of the- oh, He made a name brand on that whole incident. I'm sure he did. I saw him speak at, when I was a student at the University of Missouri, Columbia. One of the most compelling oh. speakers I've ever heard, by the way. Didn't agree with everything he said, but man, could that guy oh. hold an audience.
0: Just an amazing- um, He had a radio show for about- <laughs> Yes, he did. Oh, a little less than a decade, and I could never turn it off. I didn't necessarily agree with everything he said, but I couldn't turn it off because he was, he was that interesting to listen to. But these cowards on Good Friday,
1: basically virtually all of them abandoning Jesus, are martyred for the faith. They could have flipped. They could have saved their life if they said, hey, know where this Jesus, Jewish rabbi guy's
0: buried. It's here. Don't kill me. And those those apostles are not just ending their lives as martyrs. They are basically being, from the very beginning of the book of Acts, the primary witnesses to the resurrection are being killed. They're being put into prison. They're being harangued. They're being chased. They had every motive if what they believed was entirely made up to, as you say, to flip the story. And it would have been all, all over. But they didn't. No torture, no death, and it picks up.
1: Yesterday, we started this great series. I'm really looking forward to it. I've been putting it off for years because I'm lazy, The Scientific Vocation with Dr. Paul Edmund, the astrophysicist. And you remember, he talked about almost abandoning the Christian faith when he heard the Big Bang. A cosmologist talked about the Big Bang Theory. But what was it? The resurrection. Jesus, bodily resurrection, the eyewitness accounts, Prove that everything Jesus said and everything Jesus, and Jesus was working with the Old Testament scriptures, right? That that brought him back to, no, this stuff's real. This is historical and this is real. So just getting back to how the centrality and the importance of the eyewitness or the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Christ.
0: And Dr. Bombaro's point was, of course, that while these events are all historically true and demonstrably true, what had been embodied in so many myths is is realized in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that people who were worshiping Zeus were worshiping the true God without knowing it. Paul forestalls that notion entirely. But it does mean that whatever hopes they invested in those myths were ultimately answered in the incarnation of Christ
1: quickly. One more comment about your interview with Dr. Bombaro. Great question from Kim. I really enjoyed listening to your sessions with Dr. John Bombaro and the most recent was no exception. Christianity and myth. Would you please help me reconcile his teaching with first Timothy four, seven, where Paul tells Timothy to have nothing to do with godless myths Greater understanding on myths within this context would be helpful to me. Thank you, and thank you for listening, Kim. Well, I think the key
0: there is is godless myths. Of course, we also have Peter in one of his epistles saying we did not follow cleverly devised myths. So he's saying, and these things were not done in a corner. There's nothing secret about it. And both Paul and Peter are warning us from false myths. They're not saying, well, there's no mythic quality whatsoever to the Christian truth claims. And that's why Dr. Bambaro was drawing so heavily on CS Lewis, who said, if you look at the stories that are told in the myths, they all are expressing this longing for something, for God to come and dwell among men. Now it's distorted. It is perverted. It is hijacked by all sorts of the need to entertain people or whatever it was when they told these stories. But at their heart, they still express this desire for God to come. They do not fulfill that in any way. But they show this longing in sinful man, even sinful man who worships false gods, for something that can only be fulfilled in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. When we come back, some more listener email and the issues, etc. comment line. In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc., Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation, Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc. and you.
1: Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the Word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the Word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. Are you tired of those who change their Christian confession because they are ashamed of what they are called to believe in today's world? Scripture is clear on issues which many would like to claim are cultural but have no place in God's church. We at St. John Lutheran, Clintonville, Wisconsin, are not embarrassed to boldly confess that Scripture is God's revelation of his Christ our Savior, the only peace, comfort, and hope in our fallen world. It is why we gather each week to receive him who comes to us in word and sacrament. For church information, visit the Find a Church page at IssuesETC.org. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc.
0: In the mid-19th century, German immigrants boarded ships to cross the Atlantic Ocean for a new land called America. Opportunity, unknown challenges in preserving their Lutheran heritage awaited them after their months-long journey. Learn more about the humble beginnings of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in the latest issue of Interest Time. Visit InterestTime.org to request your free copy.
1: To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to
0: Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line.
1: Here's a tough real-life question from David in Texas. Yesterday, we put our 93-year-old mother in hospice basically we're letting her die while keeping her comfortable what that means is we're depriving her of food and water while giving her enough drugs including morphine so she's sedated and comfortable i'm conflicted although she is ailing with dementia and wants to die to me this feels too close to euthanasia are we wrong to do this guidance would be greatly appreciated thanks so much i greatly appreciate and support your program as an aside, you are the primary reason I recently became a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod after being raised a Methodist but left it and have been wandering a few years. Thanks for listening in Texas, and thanks for the
0: email, David. Okay, David, thank you very much. It's a tough question. Now, see, I, I'll give you a little context here. I recently have gone through this, my wife and I, with both of our parents. They've died within the last two years. Both of them were briefly on hospice care. My mother-in-law, a little longer. My father-in-law, much shorter. He died very quickly. And you say you're you're conflicted. And I want you to understand this in the kindest way possible. You should be because these are difficult, sometimes impossible decisions that family members have to make. What I would encourage you not to understand, you're not depriving someone of food and water. They are no longer able to ingest sustenance. Their body is no longer able to do this. And the drugs, the morphine, that's what it is, is going to keep them as comfortable, which we really, let's just be realistic, unconscious as possible, as their body sometimes slowly and sometimes rather quickly shuts down. It's an inevitable process. Once someone stops eating and drinking, it's inevitable. Your body can't sustain itself. The organs begin to shut down one at a time. It's well-documented. That's why hospice does what it does. Now, is there great potential for abuse of this system by either family members or by hospices? Sometimes they're not all great. Absolutely. Family members can say, oh, we're gonna put her out of her misery what they're really doing is they're putting them out of their misery. And as a pastor, I dealt with this. I I distinctly remember dealing with a young woman, a single young woman. Her dad was in the process of dying and it was extremely difficult for her. And I said, the best solution, and it's not a perfect solution. Don't ever believe that this is a perfect solution. The best solution that we have is that we simply place your father into the hands of people who can keep him comfortable In his last hours. Have no illusions. Once you start the morphine, there's no going back. I'm not a medical expert, but once you start it, that process is going to continue. And you ask the question, well, do those drugs hasten death? Again, I'm not a doctor, but my casual observation is, yes, they do. They are a factor in the death. There's no doubt about it. Are they necessary to mitigate the pain, and the pain can be unbelievable, considerable. Are they necessary to mitigate the pain? That's the difference between euthanasia and what I'm talking about. Euthanasia is intentionally killing someone by the use of drugs. No, you're not. You are doing everything you can medically possible to keep them as comfortable as possible as their body shuts down and dies. So. I don't think we've had enough time as a society to reflect upon hospice because what I've learned in the last two years is in terms of morality, there's a lot of gray area there. There's not a lot of black and white. Now they might try and sell it to you as black and white. But you realize as you're watching someone die, I've watched many people die, but like I said most recently with my in-laws, you realize this is not the perfect solution. This is a necessary thing that we need to do to help our loved one, as they die. But this is not a perfect solution. And there's nothing comfortable about it. There's nothing particularly peaceful about it. You commend them into God's hands. You say, God, where we have done wrong, forgive us. And then you simply have to walk that dark path with them toward death. This picture of kind of, I'll give you an example. My father-in-law, when he passed away, I was not there, but the rest of the family was there. We'd been able to visit a couple days before, and he had nurses who loved him, he had the whole family around him, they were reading Bible passages, singing hymns. He was not entirely conscious as far as we know. But it made it no easier when the final moment of death came. They were simply trying to comfort him in every way they possibly could. So with medical intervention, And then with that spiritual care, he had his pastors around him. But it was still a terrible thing for him to die. It always is. We're taking an impossible, terrible situation and trying to make it just a little bit easier for the dying person and for everybody involved. That's all we're doing. (laughs) What you realize is that the, the only solution to death is the resurrection. You can't ease somebody's way into it. And you realize hospice is a very clunky, imperfect way of easing someone into it. You sit there watching someone die and you say, the only solution for this situation is the resurrection. Because there's no good way to do it. Absolutely no good way.
1: Jesus hates death more than we do. And that's why he came to conquer it. Jason, Indiana, thank you, thank you, thank you for your recent two-part segment with Dr. Stephen Saunders discussing mental illness. As a recovering Pentecostal, I was regularly told that my bouts of anxiety and depression were a demon of depression, unconfessed sin, or some other cause in my own making. Through his word, exercise, sunshine, medication, a great psychiatrist, and phenomenal wife, I make it through every day, confident God will make me whole one day in his presence. Thanks for the feedback, and thanks for listening in Indiana, Jason.
0: And Dr. Saunders has written a tremendous book called Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. And it uh, is our Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October. It's very helpful, the insights that this 16th century reformer had in facing his own bouts with anxiety and with what we would call today clinical depression. Find out more about Martin Luther on Mental Health at our website, issuesetc.org. Or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. When we come back, we're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, with Pastor Sean Denzer.
1: Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Trinity Orchard Farm is settled between two rivers showing the way to the water of life. For worship that is reverent, relevant, and refreshing like pure water, or for excellent education in a unique setting, check out our church and school. We're just five miles north of Highway 370 on Highway 94 in St. Charles County. Visit us on the web at trinityorchardfarm.com. That's trinityorchardfarm.com. Our phone number is 636-250-3350.
0: I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made.
1: I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit,
0: I say yes
1: to God
0: in his ways.